This is a sermon from the Highlands Congregation of Park Church. We hope it helps you walk with the Lord and lead others to Christ. Learn more and find more resources at parkchurch.org. Today's scripture reading is Psalm 111. It's on page 509 in the Pewback Bible. If you don't own a Bible, we'd love for you to take one home as a gift from Park Church. Again, that's Psalm 111. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. How y'all doing? Oh, come on, come on. I bring you greetings from downtown, man. It's good to see y'all family. How y'all holding up? Come on. We came to worship God today. And how fitting is this psalm to talk about praising God and how we get to do that with other people. But uh, real quick, what I would love for us to do is to go before the throne of God and pray. Um, for us to meet him as we engage with his word. And for those who are new, um, I mean, we are glad that you're here worshiping with us, those who are new here in the building, but those who are also watching and streaming online, we're glad that you're tuning in. Man, my name is Miguel Warren, and I have the privilege to be a pastor here on staff at Park. And so I'm excited to get before God and his word and hear and what he has to say when it comes to praise. So if you would please, in your homes and here, in the presence of us, may we uh, pray for each other and I'll pray over us as we go sit at the feet of our King and hear from him today. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Father, you are good and your mercies endure forever. God, you are just, you are faithful. And I'm so glad, Father, that that you offer yourself to us continually, that even when we're faithless, you're faithful. So, Father, as we come into this place, as we come to this moment with all of life hitting many of us with different ways, I pray that we will receive the invitation that you offer to us to come and find rest, those who are heavy laden. 
I pray that we lay it at your feet, that we sit in your presence and be washed with your word, Father. And I pray that not the eloquence of my word would bring life, but your word would restore that what is broken, that which is dead, God. You, your word brings life from dry places. So, Father, have them not see me merely as an entertainer, but one who stands before you saying, thus says the Lord. So let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And we all together said, amen. Amen. Well, we are continuing our journey through Christ in the Psalms. And one of the beautiful things that I love about the Psalms is that it speaks to the whole human being. What I mean by you see Psalms that speaks to anger and frustration, one of forgiveness, one of sadness, one of unknown, one of waiting, and here in Psalms 111, one of praise. And I love that because oftentimes we think that we have to have it all together when it comes to praising God. We think that we can't be sad and praise God or frustrated and praise God. It's like everything has to be on the up and up. We got to be jovial and everything is great, but that's the furthest thing from the truth. And I love the Psalms because through that, God is speaking to us and reminding us that he wants all of us, not just parts of us. And when we talk to this psalm, particularly when it comes to praise, I just want to remind you of a few things of what praise is, because we need to be reminded we're forgetful people. But one word of praise is called yada, which means to give thanks, to give confession, which is what we've done even up until this point. The second word is zamar, which is to sing praises to our God. And then the third one, the third word for praise is halah which is the root word for hallelujah. I, don't know, I love that word. That word good. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I'm serious. That's so far. But that word is to praise and to honor. It means to give praise and honor and admiration. And really, when you think about the summation of all these three words, what it is saying is that it contains for us to give thanks and honor to the one who is only worthy to be praised. And here's the reality. Many of us have the tendency to, to not praise God because we subject our praising to God predicated on our circumstances, predicated on how we feel. I don't feel like it today, so we won't give God our praise. Or because we're so consumed with what is taking place in life, we allow that to quench or hinder our praise to God. But I submit to you today, and I want us to be reminded through God's word that we ought to praise God regardless of where we're at. We ought to praise God for the works that he has done and for the ways that he has shown himself. And we see here in this Psalms that it speaks to God's divine activity here on earth. And we believe that David is one who wrote this and David and we too are to praise God for his divine works that are being done but also that we get to experience them as well. So if you are here today, no matter where you are in life, we can offer up praise to God. 
No matter where we're at, we can offer up praise because here's the reality. We're going to praise something or someone. The question is, who is it that we are going to praise with our whole hearts? My message, my, my point for preaching this message is real simple today. Just real simple. For us to remember and for us to know that God is worthy to be praised with all of our being for who he is and what he does. And so we're going to see three movements through this sermon here. We're going to see the posture of our praise. We're going to see the reason for our praise. And then we're going to see the practice of our praise. We're going to see the posture of our praise, how it ought to be. And then we'll see the reason for our praise. And then we will conclude our time talking about the practice of our praise. May we draw our eyes to the first movement, the posture of our praise. Let's look at verse 1. And it reads as such. It says, praise the Lord. Really, which is hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the congregation of the upright, or in the company of the upright, and in the congregation. The psalmist here sets the tone early. Says, hallelujah which is bestowing honor and boasting to the one who is worthy to be praised. And we see here that what's important is that he's setting the tone for the next verses to come. And we're going to see his works on how great is his works and what he's done. And to see the work of God is to reveal the character of God, which ultimately is revealing who God is in himself. And so therefore, he is worthy... Hear me now, he's worthy to be praised. And we see here in this verse, it talks about who is to be praised, how he is to be praised, and where he is to be praised. Who is to be praised? Yahweh. God himself is to be praised. He sets the tone early. Hallelujah. I pray that we will be one that will give honor and boasting to the one who is the creator of the world, who has no beginning and no end. He says, I will give thanks to the Lord here. And notice who he is. He's giving thanks to God versus his circumstance. Hear me, his eyes and his whole heart is focused on the things above, not on the things of this earth. Hear me now, I'm not diminishing that we don't feel pain, that we don't feel sadness, that we don't feel hurt, that we don't feel grief. I'm not minimizing that. But what oftentimes is that what happens is that our praise, as we see in the text, is half-hearted instead of wholehearted is because we subject and we see what is before us instead of seeing what is eternal. And we see that God is not one to be praised with a divided heart. No, see, he says, I praise God, I praise the Lord with my whole heart, not half of it. Because hear me now, when, we, when you worship God with half of your heart, that is nothing short but idolatry. That is because you're giving praise to someone else that ultimately belongs to him. Understand, there is only one who is on the throne, one who occupies the throne, and it is not shared with anybody else. And if you sit here today under the sound of my voice, and if you profess to be a believer in Jesus Christ, hear me now. There is one who is on the throne of your heart and it should not be shared with anyone or anything. We allow the hurt, 
the frustrations, the moments, the things we don't get. We allow it to cheapen the half of our heart instead of giving it all to Him. And hear me now, family of God, we should be able to give our whole heart to God because get this, He is faithful, He is just, and He gives us just not His works, but He gives all of Himself to us. And so there we ought to offer up praise with everything that is inside of us, all of our being, our whole heart, meaning all of our lives, not just the compartment, not just certain parts of our lives. See, we want to oh, we, we worship God like we treat guests into our homes, right? We want to just keep guests into the living room because that's the clean part of our house, right? We don't, don't want to open up to the, <laughs> the kids' room's a hot mess. <laughs> Your room's a hot mess. You got clothes everywhere. But we treat God like that. We're like, and then we put this facade amongst people and act like we're clean. And I'm not saying that we ain't dirty people, but sometimes our house be a lot dirtier than what we think it is. But um, <clears throat> my whole point is that what I'm getting at is that we need to usher, we need to allow God to see all of the areas of our lives with our whole heart, the good, the bad, the ugly, because he wants all of that, not just the good part. And to limit your heart, to limit the, to, to, matter of fact, let me shift here, to put the, 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 the false self, the fake you before God limits your experience to fill in the capacity and the fullness that God has to offer us here on earth until we're in eternity with him. So, but notice where we ought to do it. We ought to do it in the company. It says in the company of the upright, in the congregation. Really what this is saying in simple form is that in the private of your home, in the, in, in, in the circle of your friends, in the job market that you go, that you work at, even in the congregation amongst other believers, we ought to worship God. There should not be a place where your feet goes that you do not worship God with all of your heart. And some here, as we move on, there just needs to be times where we put doubt and questioning and grumbling and rebellion aside, and we ought to offer praise with both our lips and with our whole heart. Hear me now, have you ever just sat sometimes and just stretched your hands and worship God for who He is? And we're going to get to here in the meat of the text that He reminds us who He is, and therefore we can reflect and remember on the character of who He is that can sustain us. In the midst of life, in its heartbreaks, in its frustrating moments, or in its mundane moments of life. So, now what we move to is the, the reason for our praise. And here we have the meat of all, that remind, the meat of this sermon that reminds us why we ought to be praised. We'll see here in verse 3 through 9. He lays out, he's reminding people, here's why we ought to be praised, why we ought to praise God. And I don't know about you, but I'm forgetful at times. As much as, I, listen, I love my wife. That was my wife that said, come on. Listen, I know I'm, forget, I'm forgetful at times. It's all good. I'm covered under the blood. <laughs> but I'm forgetful. We forgetful at times. And we forget, and we need to be reminded. Hear me now. No matter how smart we think we are, no matter how great of a memory we have, we need to be reminded of what God has done, the works that he does, and how he's doing them in order for us to offer our praise back to him. Because we got to get back on the road. Because left to our own device, 
We drift and we wander when we don't keep our eyes on him and we need the body, brothers, sisters in the faith, to point us back to the one who is worthy to be praised. So we see the reason of our praise here that's taking place in three through nine. Let's walk through these things and see and be reminded of why we ought to praise him, the reason of our praise. We see in verse three, he says, the full of splendor and majesty is his work and his righteousness endures forever. Now this language here, notice the word work. It's not plural, it's work. And all of God's work is under the umbrella of that. He does many works within his work. And this verse does cover all the things that he does. The creation of his work, the, his, his creation work, his providence work, his redemption work. But after studying this text, I believe that even here we see Jesus shows up here in this text here. Because it is reminding us that the work, the fullness thereof, all of it that it contains here is through and in the work of Jesus. And then when Jesus is giving his priestly prayer before he goes to the Calvary to die on the cross, he says in John 17, and he, he's reminded, he, he says to the Father, Father, glorify me in your, in, in, in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I want to read with you first, uh, not first, excuse me, Colossians chapter 1. Starting at verse 15, because I believe that it, it, it encompasses all and it kind of gets to the whole work of Jesus Christ and what God has done through him. And it reads in Colossians chapter 1, verse, starting at verse 15. And he says, he is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, invisible or visible and invisible, whether on thrones or dominions or rulers or authority, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things. And in him all things hold together, amen. And he is the head of the body, the church. And he is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Verse 19, for in him all the fullness of God, all the fullness, the majesty, the splendor of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. We see that Jesus in all of his fullness thereof, as it says in verse 3, full of splendor and majesty is his work. And I love how it ends, and it says, and his righteousness endures forever. His standards never run out. His upright, his standards are not subjected to, to be varied as ours is. You know, we give little compromises. We make exceptions for people that we like and that we kind of enjoy a little bit and make it harder for some, right? We tweak the righteousness. We tweak the standards. But no, we have one whose righteous is just, as we would say, that is true here, and it endures forever. His plan can never be subjected to failure, never. We see in verse four, where it talks about the memories of his work. He says, he has caused 
his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful here. Notice when he says the wondrous works, it is also probably unpacking the next verse, the, the, what is below here. It is alluding to the Exodus experience for the people of God. When he talks about his works and, and his wondrous works to be remembered here. And what we know is that, what, what happens is that what he's saying is that God, it, there, there is memorabilia that God has placed with the people of Israel, with the people of God, for them to remember his wondrous works. And see, notice here, he causes, that is the gift of God. He causes his works to be remembered. Not the intelligence of you. He causes. Your memory is great, not because of you, but because of him. And he puts memorabilia in front of his people to remind them. And he does the same with us. Think about it. Many of us got our Little League trophy still sitting there, so remind us of greatness. <laughs> I was good back in the day. It was great. First place, second grade. That was 15, that was 20 years ago. But no, we have memorabilia that reminds us of our families. We take pictures to remind us of moments in life, and those things are not bad, but we do that to remember those moments. And God says that he causes his wondrous works to be remembered. Let's show, just take a trip down memory lane. His, the, the, the deliverance of the people of God out of Egypt, they did every year the Passover to remind them of their deliverance. He, he, he had them put manna in a pot or in a jar and placed in the temple so that it could be reminded that he sustained them through the wilderness here. We get to take the Lord's Supper after every uh, worship service because it reminds us of what Jesus has done on the cross, on Calvary, on our behalf. And it reminds us of his redemption work here. And God also, get this, gives us 66 letters that remind us of his work and his character of who he is. God is gracious. We worship him. We should praise him because he doesn't leave us to be forgetful. He causes his people to be remembered, his wondrous works to be remembered. Look at verse 5 here. And let me hold, I got to back up here. I think this is important here. Because sometimes life hits us real good in different ways. And it gets hard. And one of the beautiful things about God causing us to remember is that even in those moments of darkness, in those moments of hardship, in those moments of bleakness, we can remember and recall the character of God and who he is. That he is faithful that he is just, that he is a counselor, that he has compassion, that he gives peace, that he comforts. And I think people here need to hear that because oftentimes we think that it's all hunky-dory, but yet, and we think we can't praise God, but no, we can remember the character of God even in the storm of life right now and offer praise up to him, oh, because this is so good, because get this, the there's something else on the other side of the storm. That's not, just not, that's not no prosperity thing. That's, that's what God does. He brings people through the storm. We even see he put his disciples, Jesus put his disciples through the storm, through the test, and they came out on the other side. And I don't know who needs to hear this today, but somebody needs to know that you can praise God in the midst of the storm. Oh, my gosh. <clears throat> because he's worthy to be praised. Gosh, he's worthy to be praised. Yeah. 
Look what he says in verse 4. He, he, he says in verse 4, he wraps it up in saying, the Lord is gracious and merciful. The Lord is grateful, gracious and merciful here. And it alludes to Exodus 34, verse 6, where it says that the Lord, where, it, where God immediately get this, what's taking place in Exodus 36 is God is immediately made a new covenant and his promise will continue with a new covenant and his promise and his, and he will continue his presence with Israel despite their sin. He says, it says in verse 30, uh, 34, verse 6 in Exodus, Lord, the Lord, the Lord is merciful and gracious, God, slow to anger, abounding in faithfulness, love, truth. What we see here is that God is merciful and gracious. He's, he didn't have to become that, he is that. Before time existed, he was already gracious and merciful. We see that even when the rebellion of human beings took place in the garden, he was gracious and merciful and sent redemption to fulfill out his plan. Peter, uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 talks about how the Lord is not slow to return, but he's slow to return to give people an opportunity to repent because he's merciful. Yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for. He's gracious and merciful. You get the picture here. We have a God that is gracious and merciful, and therefore he is worthy to be praised. Look at verse 5 with me. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. What we see here is God's provision and sustaining power at work here, both physically and spiritually. There is alluding here to, again, the man of heaven that comes down, how he provided, how his provision is not limited. And I think this is important. His provision is not limited and it does not run out. And I think we need to be reminded of that. Many of us got testimonies on how God has provided and sustained us in the wilderness, in the hardships of life. Family of God, we are still in the midst of a pandemic and God has sustained us. I'm not minimizing the fact that some of us have lost our job. Some of us have experienced some financial hardship. Some of us have had a come up. The God is working, but hear what is very true to this. Some of us may not have missed a meal because he's provided. Many of us may lay down jobless, but there's a roof over our head. We see that God provides for us in ways when we can't even provide for ourselves. Hear me now. We've lost some things in the pandemic. I'm not minimizing that. We got a refrigerator full of food. Not just one refrigerator, the second refrigerator is in the garage with the deep freezer that's downstairs packed with food. No, I'm being serious. Yeah, it hurts to lose job, but we have seen him sustain us and provide us. Family of God, don't think that Park Church became and sustained the pandemic on our own by no means. He kept us and provided for us and is sustaining us. And we have to remember that here. Understand here, let me, listen, I, I know we, real, we, 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 we are intellectual church, and I love that. We are, we are here, but let's bring this practical here. Let us rest in the faithfulness of God. Let us rest in the faithfulness of God and praise him with our whole hearts. Here's why. Because every time you sit down and eat a meal, you are experiencing God's pro, uh, provision and sustaining power in that moment. The meal that you're eating. We gloss over it and say the, little, the, the, the quick prayers all the time. 
But let us stop for a moment at the next meal you eat and remember we are experiencing his provision and his sustaining power when the food hits our mouth, when the water hits the back of our throat. It is God that is showing himself up in that moment in that meal. May we never forget that and praise him for that. But it's not just physically. No, it's not just physically, but he also gives us his word to feast on. His word that nourishes our soul the same way that the bread nourishes the body. Oh, every time you crack open the word, may we not be so quick to move by that it is God in his power, in his provision, that when we read his words, when the words are being read over us by the scripture reader, as we're in there, it is experiencing his provision and his sustaining power to, to encourage and nourish us spiritually so that we can move on. And I love what he says in verse, at the end of verse 5. He remembers his covenant. He remembers his covenant forever. Oh, while we are forgetful people, oh, while we want to act like credit don't go to him and we are quick to take credit because we want the glory, make no mistake, he remembers his covenant forever. He doesn't forget as we forget, and we should praise him for that. Because he is bound and obligated, and the nature of his character is not to one to be flaky, but to be true to who he is. And therefore, he carries out the binding covenant that he has entered in with his people. And that is good news, that he remembers his covenant forever. We look at verse 6 here, and he has shown, it says, he has shown his people the power of his work in giving them the inheritance of the nation. Understand, what we're seeing here is that we talk, this is alluding to again, how God has given the people of God, the Israel, the Israelites, the, the promised land. He has shown his power at work and given them a nation to inherit, the land, the promised land to do that. Israel saw his power. They saw not just the land, but they saw him defeat the enemy of Egypt. They saw the power at work here on their behalf. And many other times as they saw the power of God's work here. And it also speaks to how Christians at that time saw the power of the Lord. They saw Jesus who was died on the cross, who died on the cross, went to Calvary. They saw the power of the work to know that the grave could not contain him. His power is at work, and he has shown it. And get this, the word tells us that he will show it again. As he's given them a new land, there will be another land that is to come, flowing with milk and honey, family. That new heaven and new earth. I can't wait. I'm going to be acting up up there. Holy Ghost party. Let me ask you this question. Where have you experienced the power of God in your life? We gloss over it so quick. Where have you experienced the power of God in your life? Understand, there has been doors open that only God could open. There is only doors that closes that only God can close. It is the power of God at work. And oftentimes we miss them because we're looking for this miraculous burning bush moment. May we 
may God give us eyes to see the power of his work. May we just take a moment and pray that right now. May we ask God, God, I'm asking you right now to open up our eyes, remove the scale of our eyes so that we can see your power at work. Reveal things that only you can be revealed and let us praise and worship you for the power that will be revealed, for that what will be seen. In Jesus' name, amen. We see in seven, we see in seven and eight, where it says the works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever to be performed with faithfulness and upright. He's faithful. His works are faithful. His works are true. They are just. They are not partial. They are not partial to people. He doesn't, there's no crookedness in the policy of God's plan. In the constitution of God, there is no hidden fine print that gives advantages to one race or another, to one class of social status or another. No, his is faithful and true without partiality. Make no mistake about that. And I think that's very important. And we got to remember that God transcends. He, he, he is above the ethnic groups that are in this world. He's for all people. Hear me now. And for every place where they're at. We just saw that in Matthew. For those who are here that we've seen at the end of Matthew, we just got through going through a series of seeing God healing people. Those who are influencers, those who are poor, those who are in different social status, men and women, different ethnic groups. So make no mistake about that. Is he is true to who he is and not partial to anyone. And wants, get this, and wants everyone to experience him the fullness thereof. And offers himself in that. And I love what it says in verse 8 here. And it says, they are established forever. His precepts, his commands, his actions, his purpose, they are established forever. And I love this here. I love what this one theologian says, and I think this is beautiful for us to hear. He says, the Lord is not swayed by transient motives or moved by circumstances of the hour. Immutable principles rule the courts of Jehovah. And he pursues his eternal purpose without the shadow of a turning, without the shadow of a turning. There is no alterations, family of God, to God's plans. Although we may renege on our plans, we may go back on our plans, we may go back on, our, on what we say, on the instructions that we give, but God doesn't do that. No, he doesn't go back on them. And may we never forget that here. Here's the thing. He doesn't have to be counseled or brief on new things that's taking place in this world. Many of us got to get brief. We got to figure out what's going on. We missed a week of work. We like, all right, I got to get caught up. I don't know what's going on. No, I mean, seriously here. But that's not how God operates. See, you understand, many of us got the godly phones in our pocket, the Apple device that comes from heaven. And I don't know where the Android comes from. That's not, that's of the world. I don't know why we, I'm sorry. But there's room in God's kingdom. There's room in God's kingdom. 
There's room in this kingdom for the Android people. No, but what I'm saying, is, here's what I'm saying. We, we get updated. We get little notified on our phones. The phone is ready for an update. Do you want to do it now or later? Because it's trying to keep up, keep up so the phone won't get infected and so it can stay up with the latest news and it can work and functionally properly. See, God is not like a phone. He doesn't need to be updated. See, because when he stood on the post stand to paint the beautiful world on the canvas of the blank canvas, he, he knew what was established before then. See, he is the one that established it all. See, he, Let's look here for a minute. We got to pause. Let's, look, let's go back. Listen to this for a minute. Here's how he's established. God is worthy to be praised because he is the one at work here. We even see here in verse 4, he has caused. Verse 5, he provides. Verse 6, he has shown. And in the other verses, he has called to remember. Verse 9, which we're going to get to, he has sent redemption in there. Understand, family, make no mistake about it. We ought to worship God because he has established beforehand all that is true and just and is right, and there is nothing that you and I or anybody on Capitol Hill can divert the plans of God. So you either got one or two options, praise Him and get with the program or not. That's it. So may we be people that praise Him for what He has done because He has established that. And as I move on here, it's pretty much what I'm saying is that this is telling us that God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He's the same. He's the same. You don't have to know who's going to show up. You don't have to know how he's going to show up. You got his word that can remind you how he is and where he and how he will be. You ain't got a question. Like we're going into work, you know, on Tuesday wondering how somebody's going to show up. But God is true to who he is. Look with me at verse 9. And he says, and he has sent his redemption to his people. Mm. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. He has sent redemption to his people. The people were in bondage and he sent redemption to them in Egypt. And what we know, oh, this is so good here. And not only did he do it once, he did it again. Because the moment that the people left uh, the, the Egypt and they're in the wilderness and he's communion with, uh, God is communing with Moses on the top of the mountain, they automatically forgot what he'd done. Take it restless. And then they get put in bondage. And then what do we see here? He provides them the king and deliver him. And he does it over and over again. And he does this through the work of Jesus here. He sent redemption to earth. Jesus, fully God, fully man, he sent the redeemer. Not just the redeemer, but redemption to restore all of life. And here's what's powerful about that. He sent. What that means is that God is willing to get in the mess of our lives. He's not so holy and good. It was like, I can't touch that. You know how you get a new pair of clothes, new pair of shoes? You get mad. That dust is, you don't know. Don't touch that. You're trying to look good. You're trying to look clean. God is not like that. He gets in the mess. He gets sent down. He comes. And he redeems that which is broken. He comes into the mess and breaks the chains of sin and restores that which is dead in our lives. Do not think for one moment that whatever you are experiencing or whatever goes on, that God is beyond coming down with you and being in the mess with you. Because the Bible reminds us, they said, yeah, yet while we were still sinners, not while we were cleaned up, not while we all had it all together, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
And the, the power of this, the power of his sentness, because what we know here is that because he was sent and because of his word and our faith and the Holy Spirit, we have the power to break the strongholds of chains that has us in bondage through his word. You don't believe me? His word has an answer for it all. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. Since the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are powerful, get this, through God for the demolish of the stronghold. He sent redemption to break us free from the bondage, the sin, and encap- the things that encapsulate us. And when we mess up and when we do it again, he comes and he frees us again. Why? Because at the end of verse 9, it says, he has commanded his covenant forever. He commands it again. He's obligated to do it, and it's forever. So when 1 John 1 says that you confess with your mouth, he is faithful and just to cleanse us of all unrighteousness, he is commanding his covenant to do such things. And I love what it says, holy and awesome is his name. How we ought to give homage to him, reverence to him, because he's holy and he's awesome. Here, get this, this is, here's why we should praise God. The Bible says greater is he who's in us than he is in the world. So those who profess to be believers in Jesus Christ, that means that God is in us and he is holy and is pure. And the fact that we are sinful and we do sin and he does not destroy us is a blessing in itself. Understand here, we give more homage to our boss than our God. May we never be a people that praises and give honor to anyone other than God. The Bible is clear. Fear not one who can kill the body, but one who can kill the soul. He is holy and he is awesome. Praise God. And I love what, what, you, what you just got here is in verse, what you just got through here, this whole section in verse nine through, uh, 3 through 9, is you dealt with the verticalness of God. We praise him for what he has done. But verse 10 puts a capstone on this thing, and it, and it hits an exclamation part, because as we are vertically praising God for who he is and what he done, we come to the last movement, which is the practice of our praise. There ought to be something horizontally done about the profession of our praise. We shall not be people that just only profess God with our mouths, but we shall profess him with our practice as well. We see in verse 10, it says that the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of the wisdom. For all those who practice it have good understanding. His praises endures forever. This here, the beginning, the fear, the awe, the reverence of who God is, is the beginning of wisdom. The word beginning really is the chief statement here. And what it could be said is that the chief of wisdom is the awe, is the beginning of the awe and reverence of who God is. And we ought to practice that because it says those who practice it have good understanding. And what that means is that God's words calls us to be obedient. And he calls us to practice out what he says here. Look at verse 2. He says, let's look here real quick and see how we ought to practice out. Verse 2, great are the works of the Lord. Studied by all who delight in them. There ought to be a studying. There ought to be a delight in, in who God is because the more you unearth his word and you see who he is, you want more of it. You delight in the goodness thereof. There. There's a practice of our praise here. In verse uh, 8b, it says, it is performed with faithfulness and upright. It is to be performed with faithfulness and upright. God's word is to be performed with faithfulness and truth not subject to what people think. 
He reminds us in 1 John 2, 5, but whoever keeps his word, truly, uh, truly in him the love of God is made complete. This is how we know that we are in him. John 15, 10, if we keep his commandments, if, if, if you keep my commandment, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandment and remained in his love. 1 Samuel, here's the last one, 1 Samuel 15, 22. Does the Lord take pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifice as much as in obedience, obeying, his, o- o- obeying the Lord? Look, to obey is better than sacrifice. To pay homage is better than the fat of ram. Family of God, may we be people that practice our faith just as much as the, the profession of our faith. May we not be subject to minimize what he calls us to do because we feel the pressures of the world coming down upon us. No, may that never be. Christians that are fully grown into maturity with the Lord is the one who obeys the will of God and is not ashamed to praise him for his wonderful works. Everybody else on your job, they talk about everything else under the sun. Why not we praise God and talk about who he is with our actions and our postures and our words? Because at the end of the day, we got to stand before the Lord ourselves, not those who we encounter. We will be before him ourselves. But I love how he puts a cap on this. He says his praise endures forever. When the praise of man dries up and when they run out, his praise still goes on. You see, his praise is not predicated based off of our praise because the praise that we offer is his praise anyway. And so therefore, let us offer up the praise that is rightfully due to his. Let us be people that have a posture of praise that give glory to his name. May we be people that show reason for our praise that bring glory to his name. And may we be people that have a practice of our praise that brings glory and honor to his name. Let us pray. God, we thank you. We thank you that you are good. We thank you that you send redemption our way, that you cause us to remember, that you provide and sustain us. Hallelujah, worthy are you to be praised, God. And may we be people that offer up praise for who you are, the work that you've done, and the character thereof. Thank you that we are not left to try to remember this on our own, but you cause us to remember through your written word that is living and active, that reminds us that you are worthy to be praised with all of our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. Park Church exists to make disciples of Jesus for the glory of God and for the joy of all people. If you enjoyed this, make sure you share it with someone. We'd also love to hear from you on social media. Find us with at Park Church Denver. Lastly, more resources and info are available online at parkchurch.org. Peace and love.